Hello and welcome to this episode of From God to Us. As we continue to journey through the New Testament, we turn our attention today to Paul's second letter to the church at Thessalonica, known as 2 Thessalonians. This was Paul's third letter that he wrote, the first being Galatians, the second being 1 Thessalonians, and it was written around 51 AD while he was still in Corinth. The book was prompted by some, a letter probably sent to the church at Thessalonica saying that it was from Paul and telling people that the day of the Lord had already come. We, we find that in the text. And so Paul writes this letter to correct that problem and to address a few other issues. The theme of the letter may be stated like this. Paul wrote this second letter to the Thessalonians believers to encourage their continued faith and love, correct false teaching about the day of the Lord, and to correct idleness among some who misunderstood the Lord's return. Well, that in essence is what the book is about when we look at how it is structured. The first chapter we might call encouragement in time of persecution. Uh, the believers have been growing in their faith and their love for which Paul was thankful. But he encourages them to remain faithful in the light of the coming judgment and persecution. And so he mentions that coming judgment and persecution when the Lord returns. Chapter 2, we may title as the day of the Lord. And in there, there were those who had claimed that the day of the Lord had already come. And uh, they were teaching this. There may have even been a letter sent to them. And Paul explains that the day of the Lord cannot come until the man of lawlessness revealed and there is a great increase of sin and deception in the world. Then he teaches that Jesus will return uh, and destroy this person uh, and all his followers. In light of this, the believers were called to stand firm. Chapter 3 is uh, exhortation to faithfulness. Paul asks for prayer for himself and his companions, and he also prays for the Thessalonians again. Evidently, there are those who had stopped working and were depending on others because they thought the day of the Lord was coming soon. Paul calls this idleness, and he opposes this kind of idleness and encourages all to work hard and remain faithful until Jesus returns. Two big themes in the book. The first is the day of the Lord. Again, he says the man of lawlessness will be revealed before the day of the Lord. And so the day of the Lord has not come because this has not happened. And so that's a theme of the book. Also, we see a number of prayers that Paul offered four short prayers for these believers. Chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Chapter 3, verse 5. And chapter 3, verse 16. And he also asked them to pray for him at the beginning of chapter 3. So there was obviously this concern for them that they might continue in their faithfulness, so Paul is praying for them. Well, that's a big picture overview of the book. Let's turn our attention to the text itself. In the beginning, it says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church, the church of the Thessalonians, and our God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you be from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is from Paul and his traveling companions, Silas and Timothy. He says, um, We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, 
because of your faith is growing more and more and love for every one of you has set for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble for those who trouble you and give relief to all who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out of the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. Uh, so Paul is saying he's in just encouraging them to be faithful. They're suffering different types of persecution. Uh, he's just encouraging them to keep being faithful because they will be counted worthy because they are faithful. And then he goes on to say, just remember that the Lord will come and he will judge those who are persecuting you. He will judge those who are evil. And he mentions the Lord's return here, that it will come, uh, Lord Jesus will reveal from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. And so there's this time when Jesus is still yet to come. Uh, it's going to be a great day. It's gonna, he's going to be revealed with blazing fire. In Matthew, Jesus talks about his return coming uh, with great power and great glory. And this has not happened yet. And he's just saying, be faithful because God will come. He will recognize your faithfulness and he will judge all those who are evil and who are persecuting you. Verse 11, with this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling and that by his power may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul here is praying for the people. This is first prayer where he says, we just pray that you're going to continue to be faithful, that God will see that you're worthy of his calling because he has called you and that his power is going to be expressed in you as you do your good works. And uh, the end result of this is that Christ will be glorified in you and in your work. Then in chapter 2, he talks about, again, the coming of our Lord. Verse, chapter 2, verse 1. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. So evidently, the people had gotten some word somehow. Some prophet, supposed prophet came along and said the day of the Lord has already come. Maybe they received a letter here that supposedly came from Paul, but it didn't, saying that the day of the Lord has already happened. Don't let anyone deceive you in, in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will 
oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshiped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. So he's saying the day won't come until this happens. The Lord's not going to come until this happens. This man of sin or this man of lawlessness is revealed. Most people associate this with what we call the Antichrist. Someone who comes, uh, he opposes any type of religion, any other type of God. He sets himself up proclaiming that he himself is God. So who is this person? Well, that's, there's much debate about whether this has already occurred or whether it's yet to happen. And there again, we must get into some end time discussions to settle that matter. I cannot settle it here at this time, but at least as far as the Thessalonians were concerned, Paul is clearly saying this has not happened yet. And they should not believe that the day of the Lord has already come. Now, if you remember from uh, 1 Thessalonians, we talked about that the day of the Lord from the Old Testament is a time of great judgment and destruction, followed by a great time of peace and well-being. And so there's a, a judgment that must come first, followed by the great time of peace. This is, this, both of these uh, are part of the day of the Lord. And so this first part is going to have a man of sin who is revealed, a man of lawlessness, and he will proclaim himself to be God. He goes on to say, don't you remember that when I was with you, I urged you to tell you these things, and now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. Now, what does that mean? Well, many people think that the Holy Spirit, and he doesn't say Holy Spirit here, but many people think the Holy Spirit is restraining uh, the power of lawlessness, even though it's at work in the world, it's already at work, this power of lawlessness, the power of sin. But it's, the man of sin, this man of lawlessness, is being uh, restrained until whatever it is, whoever this is, he says, till the one who holds him back is taken away. So um, it makes sense that maybe there's this restraining of the Holy Spirit until the proper time. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracle signs and wonders and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. So this man of lawlessness is going to do a lot of apparent miracles. So lawlessness, um, the, the power of lawlessness, is associated with many false kinds of miracles. There are people today who claim to do miracles, claim to do healings, and if you investigate what's going on, there is no true healing or true miracles being performed. Or if they are miracles, they're done by the power of Satan. Remember, Satan can do miracles. If you remember in the Old Testament, uh, Moses, when uh, he was sent to Pharaoh, there was the first three miracles that he did, the magicians also did. They repeated the same three. They couldn't do all the miracles, but they could do some of them. So there are these certain miracles or false miracles done by the power of Satan, and they're deceiving people. 
It says they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. So people in the world are refusing the truth about Jesus. They're refusing the truth about God and they will be deceived. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. So when this man of sin comes, there will be a great deception, a great delusion upon the world. For all those who have rejected God, who have rejected Christ, are going to be deceived by this person and ultimately will be destroyed with him. Verse 13, he says, But we ought to always thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through sanctification and work of the Holy Spirit, through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teaching we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who is loved and by his grace that gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. So Paul is just saying, Okay, you know, God has called you. Uh, He's sanctifying you through your belief. The Holy Spirit is sanctifying you, setting you apart through your faith and trust in him. He's called us through the gospel. And then he says, I just want you to be faithful. I'm praying for you that God will encourage you so that you will stand firm. Again, verses 16 and 17 is another prayer for the Thessalonians. Again, chapter 3, he starts out and says, and pray for us that the messages of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not everyone has faith, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love for Christ's perseverance. So he says, pray for us, but we have confidence that God is going to protect us, but pray that we will speak as we should and be protected from the evil one. Verse six, he says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you brothers to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. So idle, the idea is kind of laziness because he's going to talk. He's going to talk about working. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. So Paul is talking this idleness about people who don't work. And it seems to be that maybe because the coming of the Lord they thought was soon or had already come, they didn't need to work. Basically, the idea is there were people who were just lazy and depending upon others. And Paul is saying, look, you know, if you're capable, you need to work. You need to earn your way. And Paul said, We could have taken help from you. They had a right as an apostle to do so, but we didn't so that we could be an example so that those who are idle among you will see our example and they will actually go to work. Uh, If you don't work, if you're lazy, you know, you shouldn't eat. That's what he says. Now, there obviously there are people who can't work and need help, 
But those who can and are just refusing to do so who are lazy, you know, we don't have the right, we don't need to support those people. If you can work and you have the opportunity, you need to do so. And so Paul is laying this uh, out for the people there. He says, we hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. They are busybodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of him. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So he's saying there's those people who are lazy and they're dependent on everybody else. They won't work. Uh, well, you know, don't associate with them. Not because they're your enemy, not because you hate them, because you want them to be ashamed of their actions and repent and come back and work hard like everyone else. You want them to come back as a brother. There again, we, we need to help the poor. We need to help the needy. But we have to have good discernment for those who are lazy and unwilling to work. Uh, we don't have the responsibility necessarily to help those people. If they're people who are out of work and are homeless, if we can help them get a job and work, that's what we should do. Maybe help them through that period of time until they can find a job. But people who just refuse to work, we don't have the obligation to help them, especially within the body of Christ. Then he closes the letter. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand with the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So this is the, the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians. Paul is writing this little book and he's clarifying some things about the day of the Lord and, and about idleness. I think that it was prompted probably by that fact that people were saying the day of the Lord had already come. Now, as far as uh, whether or not the Lord has returned, there are people think that, that since this was written, in some way the Lord has returned or, and there is no future coming of the man of lawlessness. These are things that you may want to study a little bit more in detail and find out what you believe about those. I don't really have the time, again, in this overview to go into those details. But there's many different views of that. We'll talk about that a little bit when we get to the book of Revelation, of the various views of future and end time things. But I'm not going to go into great detail on that now. But let's look at the book as a whole. What can we learn from that? Maybe there's uh, three lessons overall. Keep your focus on the Lord and in spreading the gospel message. So our heart and minds need to stay on the Lord. And there's those people who distract us from with all kinds of things. There's all types of beliefs and things going on in the church today. And sometimes it's easily get distracted on our faithfulness to the Lord and making sure that the gospel is going forth. So be careful what you focus on. The second I say, don't listen to the end time prophets. They're always wrong. What I mean by that is there are people out there who are always trying to predict something's going to happen. Or they look into the news and they say, oh, see, this is happening now. We find that in the Bible. And usually what is happening, I call these newspaper prophets or news prophets. They see something in the news and they run to the Bible to try to find it rather than letting the Bible interpret first. They're interpreting the Bible first 
before we try to say what's going on in the news. But there are many of these people who are always talking about what's happening now in the world, and ultimately, they're always wrong about something. And so be careful about listening to these end-time prophets. Now, I, I believe in looking at end times and trying to understand some of these things. I'm just saying, be careful, because many of them don't have everything right. And so if you want to look into the end time stuff, study it carefully, uh, but don't allow your focus of your ministry and what God wants you to do be taken away by all this end time stuff that seems to overwhelm some people. Number three, the only way to prepare others for the Lord's return is to lead them to Christ. We don't need to be saying, oh, the end is coming. If you don't believe, you're going to be, all these things are going to happen to you. The main thing is presenting the gospel. Yes, they will be judged sooner or later. There will be a judgment of all people sooner or later. But the best way to prepare people is make sure they know who Christ is. Keep focus on the gospel. I think these are some important lessons that we can learn from this little book. Well, I hope that you will do some more study into the book of Second Thessalonians, and if these issues of end time are in, of interest to you, be careful, uh, study them carefully, but don't get bogged down in those things. Focus on what God has called you to do, the ministry he's given you, and continue to be faithful in those things, as Paul has encouraged the Thessalonians to remain faithful because the Lord has not returned yet. Well, again, I hope you find uh, something out of this little book that is helpful and encouraging. And I trust and pray that God will continue to bless you as you continue to study his word.